2: Greetings, comrades. So it has come to this, finally. Finally, we're here on the beginning of our long, long, long story about the Russian Revolution. We will start with um, with the great man, Lenin himself, because there could ha- couldn't have been any revolution without him. And as much as I would love to just compress it all in a single episode, the more I dug into all of this revolution business and... How the Soviet Union even got created. The more I dug into this, the more I understood that this is going to be a very, very complex matter. Nothing is simple here, you see. And I'd like to start with a a quote. From uh, the diary of Colonel House. Colonel House, also known as Edward Mandel House. One of the closest advisors to the President Woodrow Wilson. And he said, quote, The public has no idea about what's going on in the backstage. If they could see the authors and the de- decorations and how historical tragedies are made, it would be a revelation to them. And this is what he's saying to, in his diary about what are we going to speak about. About the Russian Revolution. It's a mysterious subject. It's an interesting one because... A lot of things that I thought would be clear and open and easy easy to see and find out are still hidden. It's hard to get access to any reasonable information. well, of course, there are a lot of lot of random sources, but you have to pick pick through them with and be very very careful about them as quite a lot of materials in the archives are still secret, and especially when it comes comes to Lenin himself the, the great man the author a lot of things that we know about him were secret during the soviet era and quite a lot of things about this this whole revolution are still secret in in the archives of russia today and i will be speaking about why are they secret and who who Lenin was and what he was actually intending to do and what kind of a person he was. Because when you look at how how he worked out his political proceedings and what he did in life, you find almost two completely opposite personas here. One of the personas is just this revolutionary figure who cares about the people... And and just wants to free them from from domination of Tsar, and who wants to help the oppressed masses who is a true idealistic believer in his ideology. Who actually opposes Stalin later in life? They had their own political battle going on there shortly before Lenin died, which we'll get to eventually. Because yeah, this is going g- gonna go through Stalin's era and back to Khrushchev. And we're going to take as much time as we need for this. And also, it's it's the man who quotes, whom I'm going to quote here, who says, the capitalists are going to sell us the nukes that we're going to hang them with. And that's not even the worst of of, uh, Lenin's quotes. No, 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 no. Lenin, after acquiring power, for example, states that, uh, for for example, in his uh, 1918, 12th of December letter, to Mr AG Shlyapyankov <clears throat> put every effort in uh, use every effort in your power to capture and shoot the speculators and and the bra- uh, speculators and the independent businessmen of Astrakhan and in the same time in the 23rd of December in 1918 that's after the revolution already uh, he wrote uh, this small piece in In his book, uh, Proletariat's Revolution and the the Renegade Kautsky. And he begins it, the very book begins by by this quote Dictatorship is power that is based without any mediators on violence and is not bound to any laws. Revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat is power which has been conquered and is held up by the violence of proletariat over the bourgeoisie. It's power that is not tied or, or is not bound to any laws. So he was like all for violence. He argued for shootings, shootings of many people, he argued for robberies, openly stating that, yeah, he's a robber, he robs, he robs stuff from the people who have exploited others and who have robbed from them he's not a simple person, the simple personality by any means. And the more you look into his life, you start to understand that there was something clearly wrong with this person. And we'll get to this later in life, but I mean, he, he was technically married, but he was just living together with his wife and his lover at the same time, and, and he had syphilis at one point, and, and they, even, they even embalmed him, and you can still see Lenin in Moscow if you go to Mausoleum. So the problem with these series and how they're coming out isn't, isn't on the lack of sources, even though I would like more, all, all, more as usual, and I would like to have more sources and, and, and deeper sources, but at this point it's just, where do I begin? because it took me a lot of time to gather all of this information together but now I just can't figure out where to start so I guess I'll just have to start with the birth of Mr. Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov and let's see where it takes us from there the biographical chronicle of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin starts with an entry April 10th or 22nd by the new 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 calendar uh, Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov is born the father of Vladimir Ilyich Ilya Nikolaevich Ulyanov was at one time inspector and later director of the public school system of the Simbirsk area. He originally came from poor poor workers of the Astrakhan city and his father earlier was a serf in this area. His mother Maria Alexandrovna was the daughter of the doctor A.D. Blank. Lenin himself didn't know anything more about his relatives than what this biography stated. In their family like in many other families of the upper middle class of the Russian Empire, it was kind of impolite to dig through your genealogical roots. So basically all the research that's been done here comes from a later period in time, only after Lenin's death. It comes from basically work done by by his sisters and by Soviet researchers later, because it wasn't polite back then, and at at one point you have to remember that Lenin became a symbol of a whole Soviet system. So who his parents really were and who the, who they came from, that was all heavily censored. And he didn't know it himself, due to this impoliteness. And uh, interestingly enough, when in 1922, Lenin was filling out his party questionnaire, you know, the party, Communist Party magazines are going around, and they have these questionnaires in them which they have to fulfill so that people would... the people in the bureaucracy would know who you are, he honestly wrote about what his father, what his grandfather from his father's side wrote with a straight, honest answer, I don't know. And there were many, many weird things that we don't know about his family. There are some facts that we do know, but this is where it, it gets deep. There's information about who his godfather was. He was he was baptized in the, the cathedral of Saint Nikolai, and his godfather was an accountant and uh, the chess partner of Ilya Arsenyi Belokrisenko, and his aunt was Natalia Aunovska, who apparently was. mother of one of Ilya's colleagues, and she was also a widow. We know that much, but why and what's going on there is way more interesting. You see, during the Soviet era, the most famous specialist and and kind of specialist and and, and most informed researcher of the biography of Ulyanos was a certain Marietta Shanginian. Her books or mandatory reading in schools and in universities. But obviously, before they came out and were published, they went through a really, really hard censorship and mandatory kind of fixing of errors. So, after all of this, uh, some facts of the ancestors of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin were either hidden or, you know, fixed out, as you do. I mean, by this point, it isn't 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 a surprise that Soviet, Soviet uh, guys would just fix information which they didn't like. She also wrote some novels, and in one of them, which is called The Family of Ulyanovs, Marietta Sergeyevna reminded us that uh, in the childhood, the mother of Mr. Lenin, Maria, she had this family blank. But literally there is no mention about the nationality of of uh, her parentage. In nineteen sixty five, a historian from Leningrad, well now it's St. Petersburg again, Mikhail Stein, working on the biography of uh, Alexander Dmitrievich Blank, who was a famous Medish medic at the time, he kind of came upon some interesting documentation. In the archives of the Medical, Med- Medical Surgical Academy was pointed and noted that the brothers, the Blank brothers, Alexander Dmitrievich and Dmitri Dmitrievich in 1820 were, were counted in this uh, university. And in their case files it is specifically stated that they were baptized in a cloister in the capital and they took Russian names, in place of Jewish names, which were Abel and Israelia. Mikhail Stein states that uh, this that this christening, that this baptizing, in this Orthodox cloister, was initiated by their father Moise Itzkovich, and Senator Dmitri Osipovich Baranov whose kind of father's names the brothers took when they switched religions. And this was done in the case of their future children. Because only because of this change of religion, this switch away from Judaism, and their kind of dropping of their their Jewish identities, allowed these both brothers to acquire some good education and kind of secure their future. And this just this just demands that I do a whole episode on the Jews in the early Soviet Union in the nineteen nineteen. But I highly recommend you visit martyrmaid dot com and listen to Daryl Daryl Cooper's podcast about early history of Israel and especially the early episodes when he talks about early Jews. They're very good on this. Uh, I'll definitely take a look at this myself. But by this point, it is. Quite, quite well known that yes, well, from uh, from mother's side, that means from the side that matters to Judaism, Lenin was Jewish. And, you know, he had to hide this fact away from the Soviet authorities, because they were anti-Semitic at times. Quite a lot of times, and he wouldn't have been treated nicely because at that time it was, it was said that, you know, he himself stated that, oh, Jews are the majority of the people who are, you know, the rich guys. And also this led to a lot of Jews being in the higher echelons of Czech or NKVD at the early years before Lenin. You see, and even though I, I don't want to discuss this in very huge detail, there's a bit of some interesting facts about this, uh, this Moshko Blank, you know, the grandfather of uh, Lenin's mother. He was a wine and vodka trader in Stara Konstantinov, which was found in Volinia uh, Volini area, which is the western part of the Russian Empire. In this Stara Konstantinov, which was a small village, uh, were most, it was mostly populated by Jewish people. And apparently this Moshko was in a lot of trouble around these parts. He often really argued with his neighbors and his own family, including his son Abel. At once, he apparently had sued Abel for, you know, for being very rude in public and for beating someone up. Like, beating him up, apparently, or someone close to him. But, what he what he got from the judge and, like, the judge's reasoning, like, it was a shock to, to Moshko. Apparently, the judge didn't believe old Moshko and g- gave him a fine, instead of his son, for lying to the court. In 1803... Moshko himself was sued by his neighbor Jews for stealing their haystacks. In two years later two years later he was sued again in 1805, and this time for for selling illegal illegally made vodka, essentially making moonshine. But in both cases, he was found not guilty by the court. But In 1808, like, and this is the fourth time he has dealings with the court, he wasn't that lucky anymore. At this point, he had to spend several months in prison, at this time, for arson. And this is, this is just very weird and interesting history of the family of the world's greatest revolutionary, really. Finally, after a couple of months, he was just, you know, let out of jail, and he moved to the to the capital of this area zhitomir but he never really forgot what he had endured according to himself in strato konstantinov in 1824 he really put a put an appeal to the court to you know to revisit the case of of this arson and he managed he managed successfully to get the families who had accused him to get fined and himself, you know and he, he himself got himself kind of paroled, I, I presume. This this kind of proved that Moshko had some raging raging hot blood in his veins, I presume. And and I think this is this is kind of notable because Lenin shows a lot of these these signs as well. And Moshko Blanc, even though he was Jewish, he wasn't Orthodox in any way or form, no no. Uh, his parents never raised him in the Jewish faith. He didn't send his children in the local Hebrew school and according to tradition, his children would have would have been you know they should have attended uh, the Heder apparently that's how they call it, Jewish schools uh, of uh, staro konstantinov and they should have been learning Jewish language and torah but instead Moshko sent him sent them to this new governmental public school where every every lesson happened in russian and when moshko's da- wife died he kind of cut the last ties of of his ancestor ancestral beliefs and according to his own desires a local a local orthodox priest uh, just baptized him and he became a russian and you know you there there's a slight chance that moshko Happened upon some spiritual revelation, but I, I doubt that. I most likely it was a purely material, materialistic drive, because you know, moving to Christendom, like becoming Orthodox, eliminated a lot of a lot of obstacles that would have been there, in in his social economical economical growth, so to speak. Before the partitioning of Poland. There were, like, not that many Jews living in the in, living in Russian Empire. But this partition kind of sets the huge point of how a lot of Jews got into Russia. And, of course, there was a lot of anti-Semitism going on there. So, they all, like, well, a lot of them, like Moish and his sons, being the rebels... They just became Orthodox, maybe in name only, but I don't know. Moshe had never been extremely extremely Jewish, as as we have noted here. They just moved, moved to this. So these are all Lenin's ancestors from the maternal side, just so you know why I'm speaking about this. And, you know, quite a lot of Jews did this, just to escape persecution, but Mosheko managed to become a bit of a evil person, I presume, to his own fellow Jews by this point. See, interestingly enough, Moshko Blank, the grandfather of Lenin's mom, managed to send the Ministry of Internal Affairs a letter on where he specifically asked to increase the discriminatory laws against Jewish people. In this letter, he said that the Ministry should prohibit the Jews' from selling food which is not kosher that is food which they can't eat themselves furthermore he also asked the ministry of internal affairs uh, that uh, they should pro- they should prohibit uh, prohibit hiring of christian people for work during the jewish sabbat sabbat time shabbat Shabbas? I, I don't know i don't speak yiddish or or uh, or ivrit i'm sorry so cause he thought though that's that's cheating and that's bad and that's just, you know, exploitative. The the fact that he's doing all of this to his own people, it's it's kind of very strange to me, but in a way I, I see some, some patterns that will repeat themselves in the future with with Moshko. Also, another thing is that he specifically and explicitly stated and, and was a firm believer of the fact that Hasids the you know the the Jewish mystical sect these Orthodox zealous Jewish mystics should be completely forbidden from from any anything from anything that that's coming together and and in the in the funniest things of everything that this uh, ancestor of Lenin's did was that he sincerely asked the Russian Ministry of Internal Affairs to prohibit Jews from praying for the arrival of Messiah completely and instead the, all, the, all these Jews should be praying for the emperor and, uh, and the health of his family so you know in short Mr. Moshko Blank this Newford Russian person was a complete anti-semitical dude and that's that's kind of weird so you know as as his sons were raised in this atmosphere, this Abel and srule, they were, they were just, you know, moving, moving to hide their Jewish Jewishness and just as their father. So in 1824, our Blank brothers, or Blanky brothers, uh, I, I might mess up this pronunciation, well, these Blank brothers, they finished the medical academy and became surgeons. The eldest of, of these brothers, Alexander, he served as a doctor in Smolensk, and in 1829 he married a certain Anna Ivanovna Groschopf, who was a daughter of a rich merchant who had both German and Swedish roots. Maria Alexandrovna, the daughter of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, was fifth of the six kids in this family. Now, sadly, Anna died in 1838, and. And the kind of responsibilities for raising Anna's kids moved to her sister, who hadn't had any kids herself, Yekaterina. And guess what? Three years later, our uh, our Lenin's Lenin's proud dad, our Lenin's proud grandfather, Alexander Dmitrievich, married her, and the family was full and happy again. Now I don't know, but I like, have heard a lot of these, and this was kind of normal these days. You know, your 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 wife dies, so you marry your wife's sister? I don't know. (laughs) It it must have been more normal than now, but reading this is a bit weird for me. And I hope this is a bit more coherent than than I I find it myself, because, boy, this is a lot of material. We're gonna go through it all. So anyway, this blonde guy, grandfather of Lenin, he managed to increase his career and became one of the one of the really important bureaucratic uh, positions of the of the med- medical personnel in the area, he became the medical advisor to the governor of the area, essentially. In 1847, he retired. He uh, got a title, you know, kind of a, a title which, which put him into nobility, into and he moved in his own plot of land not far from Kazan and he got his kind of uh, th- there is this russian word dvoryanin which means kind of castellan i presume but it's kind of it kind of puts him into nobility because this is not castellan in the usual sense it means basically position in court official person of the court kind of lesser noble so this title allowed him to literally purchase a village of Yansali, which is now known as Kokushinko, and allowed him to purchase 500 hectares of land. I don't know how that translates to acres. (laughs) 1,235.5 acres. Which is, as you can imagine, a lot of land. And he bought a whole village, together with all the serfs there, obviously. So, and and until his death in 1870s, Alexander Dmitrievich, grandfather of, of his grandfather of, of Lenin, lived there in this village and, and he just lived through with his wife there and he was buried there. Now now that we know the Lenin's Lenin's mother's mother's line of family, moving on to his, his father line. His ancestors from the father line Lenin's ancestors were just escapees or, or serfs from Asia. In his family line, you can see not only Russians, but also local Chuvashi people and the Chukcha people. And a lot of sources, like I mentioned before, state that grandfather of Lenin from his father's side was a serf. Now, precise documentation of the genealogy of Ilya Nikolaevich Ulyanov, they are practically non-existent. Therefore, a lot of researchers just you know build their own options, taking, taking, a, 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 taking as the basis of their research a lot of different secondary sources of this. And the weirdest part is that we know that there exists that there are there exi- the primary sources that they do exist, that they are there. It's just that they're still hidden. And by this point in my research, I moved to the fact that I wanted to know why they're hidden. And this is where this is where we come to our first quote about the whole revolution thing. And the terror and everything. See, because of all the terror and all the anti Semitism in the Soviet Union as well and everything was going on there, during the revolution they just shot people left and right. For weird reasons, and uh I watched a lot of TV shows, Russian made TV shows about of this, but as most of them, by the way, um mystify Lenin and his status. Specifically in in Russian Russian uh, media media form, Lenin's somewhat mystified. And I can understand why it was hidden, uh, why his Jewish side was hidden during the Soviet era. But you can you can find more documentaries about Lenin's dead body in the mausoleum, rather that you can find about Lenin's own ancestry. There's a lot about his childhood, which we'll move on to next. But that is. The weirdest thing ever, that the ancestry of Lenin on the father's side is still not known exactly. We have we have some premonitions of this, but why the archives can't be opened, and, and why do people who try to speak about them sometimes get fired from their positions? Yeah, that's just one of the cases that I'll have to dig in some more. I'll keep you updated anyways. So, Lenin's parents married in 1863 and they moved to Nizhny Novgorod there Ilya Nikolaevich became a teacher of maths and physics in the male gymnasium and recent uh, and up until very recently no one really no one really had any questions or doubts about how many children were there in the family of Ulyanovs in 1864 they had their first first child anna and after 2 years in 1866 uh, alexander was born 2 years later a second second daughter was born named olga but she ma- she lived only for a single year according to the wi- according to the witness l i veternikova who was a cousin of uh, vladimir lenin's the family of Lyanov's, Uh, took took this tragedy very, very, very hard. And at this point in the professional career of Ilya Nikolaevich, some serious changes uh, had been observed. observed. In 1869, the Institute of Inspectors of Public Schools was created. And Ulyanov, as an excellent teacher, as a very upstanding citizen, he was one of the first to whom the position of, of this inspector was offered. He took this offer, and all of the Ulyanov family moved to Simbirsk, where his new position was was located. So in 1807, their second son was born, which is our good friend and and colleague, Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov. Family had lived in their new place, you know, quite well. Ilya Nikolayevich was very good at his work, uh, but there was a lot of a lot of trouble around everything going on in this family, like you know, moving to a new place, dealing with a new job, but you know, there's a lot of trouble and problems connected to all of this. But still, nonetheless, uh, half a year later, the family Ulyanovs was again increased by a daughter, which they named Olga once again. In 1873, another son was born. This time, this time, this one was called Nikolai. The birth apparently had been very, very, very hard and heavy. And the boy just just lived just a couple of days. And uh, Lenin's mother, Maria Alexandrovna, was on death's door basically herself. But she managed to get better. And in 1874, son Dmitry was born. And in 1878, their their youngest daughter, Maria. So, you know, Maria Alexandrovna had eight children, but unfortunately not all of them lived. Then again, by this point, as my sources state, that this was more of a typical thing in uh, Tsar's Russia at that point, rather than some exceptional case that children die. I have posted a, I have posted a family picture on our website, theeasternborder.lv where you can see the family of Ulyanovs with their six surviving children. Lenin is the one sitting down on the left side, like lower left, that's that's where Lenin is. And this is one of the more famous pictures of Ulyanovs, which was taken in 1879 when Lenin was nine years old. But weirdly enough, why the question about the Lenin's children is important is that Around year 2000, in Russian internet sites, another question came up about how, how many children exactly were there in the family of Lyanovs. See, in 2005, artist from Bashkiria, Rinat voligamsi put on his site a series of photographies where the fool in air quotes, family of Ulyanov's is depicted a certain sergey uh kind of a twin brother of uh, lenin was sitting kind of on the right from the middle i'll put this uh, put this picture up on the side as well for for clarity but yeah it was it was a mystery for for the time being and uh, you you should be careful when when looking up pictures of Lenin's family on the internet because you might find this one the picture is so well made that it actually served as uh, as, as a basis for various weird cookie theories, which obviously one comes up when looking at Lenin. But yeah, the, the author himself, the artist himself, kind of admitted that it's a hoax and that it's his creative fantasies. But yeah, this was his attempt of explaining for him and himself how Lenin managed to live such weird, crazy, active life. While he managed to be, like, in two places at the same time. Which he later does in his life. He manages to be very, very active. Very energetic. Doing crazy things. And that, this is this is one of the theories which kind of would explain it. That they were actually his twin brother. Which never happened. He was just that active and that good at things. So, what do we know about his childhood, then? Basically we know that he was raised in the spirit of uh, humanism and that the family was especially in this simbirsk they were kind of in the upper middle class you know they were they were nobles after all technically from from the mother's side and they were high they were high ranking people they were respected people and uh, they never played outside in the gardens, for which the neighbors were kind of surprised, because there are documentation which says, oh, Ulyanov's are very, very quiet, very self-absorbed in this new area, they're putting on the very, very the most polite face they, they can manage, they can muster for themselves. However, in their personal life, it was quite different, because Lenin himself was an active and sometimes very mean child from the beginning already. And that's not even speaking about the rest of his family, because each of them has their own story. With which I shall start, because, you know, we'll get to spend a lot more episodes on Lenin's life and actions himself, but for starters, to give you some understanding about how how proper and prune and kind of using their higher opposition, all the while hiding that any of them has any Jewish blood, of course, uh, they were, is that... For example, Lenin learned how to speak French and German fluently from his family. You see, and it's one of the weird things. It's uh, it was actually told told to me by my father, and then I verified it later, because this is one of the reasons why I speak multiple languages as well. Because this this was apparently a famous story throughout Soviet era, and this is this is the one good thing which apparently has come from Lenin, is that in his family there were like certain days of the week. Where people in the family would only speak this other foreign language. Imagine this: in Monday you speak Russian; it's perfectly normal. In Tuesday you speak French. If the kid doesn't understand French, he can't get any food. He can't get anything. You know, you want some more salt on, on something? No, no, no. You have to ask it in French. Then next day, in Wednesdays, you only speak, say, English, or 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 German or whatever. This this is how they were living. They they had. And even though during that time in public school system, classical classical Russian literature—just I don't know—you you imagine classical liter- literature today. You imagine like Lev Tolstoy, you you imagine Pushkin, that stuff. Okay, that was kind of quite censored, because the czars—they were not humanists either. And I'm speaking about Soviet Union here, and I'm putting it in a somewhat bad light, because it it is it is bad. It was bad. It led to tragedy of my people. But still, Russian czar. Under, under whom we also lived here in Latvia at that period of time, he was no saint either. And there was heavy censorship. There was heavy politicization of everything, and a lot of classical authors were just put down. And even though Lenin himself would later go on to acquire classical education, even though he got thrown out of university at one point, because uh, he, he studied uh, law in Kazan University at one point in 1877 but he was expelled from there uh, for taking part in student protest. He attempted to to readmission himself there in this university, but they all failed, so he later had to enroll as an external student at St. Petersburg University. He completed his education there in 1891, and then briefly labored as a defense attorney. At that time, by the way, while he was studying law, he became enthralled with with Marx. But this is a side note, even though it's about Lenin at this point. You see, all the f- all the family of Lenin—they were. Imagine this: they're, from one side, you come from oppressed Jews, like really, really oppressed Jews in a country which is considered to be backwards by all the Western countries. I mean, First World War is not so far away by this point, and you have—and li- if you have listened to. Uh, Dan Carlin's series blueprints for Armageddon on the first world war then you might know that in the that Russia was considered big and with a lot of manpower but they were kind of backwards by everyone else and they were there was a lot there was a lot of censorship there was a lot of a lot, lot of oppression going on there and there had been some reforms by tsar alexander ii but alexander ii was murdered you see and that basically made sure that the next czar, Alexander III, was completely, completely uh, against any reforms later, you see. And the whole fact is that Lenin got good education, but it lacked a lot of you know classical authors like Voltaire, which you should learn, and which, which he should have known, and, and a lot of Enlightenment, enlightenment authors. But yeah, by this point... None of the Russian gymnasiums teach Voltaire, Rousseau, Goethe, even Gogol, Lermontov, Turgenev, Dostoevsky, none of that stuff. None of the things which are considered classics today, because they were all critical of the the environment. Lenin was an expert on on grammar, on law, on various other things. He was very well-educated. He didn't come from a poor family. He came from a rich family who had their own troubled roots, which they tried to hide. And they were really trying to appear as proper and nice as humanly possible there was strict discipline their father, Ilya, controlled most aspects of their life and they had to speak foreign languages during their childhood in the family of course they could play and stuff and they really cared about their children but it was more of the, I don't know (laughs) I, I like to imagine the typical kind of cold, noble father mother figure, there was little warmth there the relationship was full with respect. For example, my sources state that the children had to call their mother by name, by, their, by her surname even, like Maria Alexandrovna. Can I please, you know, Maria Alexandrovna? Could you please pass me the bar? or something like that? You see, it was very formal, very kind of controlling. But the kids made friends with themselves, and apparently, little little Ilyich, little Vladimir was kind of a bit of a troublemaker, so to speak. Apparently, in his childhood, as Anna writes, he was very, very loud, very aggressive, and, and he was quite more destructive than other Ulyanov kids. Anna also states, quote, When the parents gave him a toy toy horse from Papier-Maché in his birthday, Volodya, that's a, kind of a... Sweeter, nickname for Vladimir, moved to hide away, hide straight away so that he would tear off the legs and hands of the toy. Anna watched as he as he hid behind doors, and after a few minutes, parents found him there, very satisfied with the completely destroyed toy around him. He was the kind of kid, apparently, according to the time witnesses, where where his his aunt Anna. Gave the family a, a crystal vase as a gift, and apparently, little linen. He had break, He had broken it at one point, and apparently, Anna had uh, had you know yelled at him for breaking such a expensive gift. But a while later, back at home, he he can he he kind of uh, confessed to his to his uh, mother that you know I tricked Aunt I tricked Aunt Anya. I told her that I didn't break the vase, but I did, and you know. He was quite happy about this. Interestingly enough, in this family, the kids were friends in pairs. Sasha and Anna, both the older ones, held together, and then Volodya and Olga, the middle ones, and the third was Dmitri and Maria. Which is kind of interesting together. They didn't hang out between themselves too much. So what we have from the childhood of Lenin comes mostly from Lenin's sister Olga. But... His older brother also has left us some, some emotions about all of this. Uh, for example, in one of the documentaries produced by the channel Ostankino, by the channel Ostankino, which is now the Baltic First Channel, uh, that's a documentary produced in 1999. It, it states uh, that it states that his brother, his older brother, states that you know they were playing horsies. You know, one kid gets on top of the other kid, and then around the room, that Lenin was would kick him very hard during this procedure, and that he was all, all around um, quite a nasty person. Nonetheless, he was well-educated, but uh, quite apparently nasty. And this comes from the memories of, of his older brother Alexander.
0: And a happy new year to all. May this new year bring us wisdom and patience and the interesting times that we live in currently. We want to thank all of you who listen in on us and join us in this long journey through Soviet history. If you ever want to show your support, you can write to us on our Facebook page, The Eastern Border, our Twitter at eastern underscore border or the eastern border at gmail.com to give us any opinions, questions or just to say hi. You can also support us and our show by buying our t-shirts or becoming a patron on our patreon.com slash the eastern border. Currently, our patrons have opportunities to win monthly raffles and listen to Kristaps voicing the book A Russian Diary by Anna Politkovskaya. This month, we will be releasing two chapters of the book to our patrons, so keep your eyes peeled and join our supporters to listen. And now, back to the story.
2: Another interesting fact about Lenin's childhood, and uh, this comes from the official memories of Radim, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, uh, printed in Moscow by Polizdat, Polit- Izdanie, or political, political Publishing's house in 1984, is the fact that when he was a kid, he was brought to one of the best Russian eye doctors who was working a uh, for the whole under Volga region, a professor from Kazansk named Ad Adamiku. he apparently this professor uh, he didn't have the opportunity to completely precisely examine the kid, and he was seeing an objective uh, he was seeing objective changes in in the bottom of his left eye, and by this point. He decided that he must have he must have had some birth defect in this left eye, so adamyuk he he declared that this eye was you know poorly he that the eye had poor eyesight from the birth, which was apparently called <clears throat> born um umbli, umbliopia born blipo uh, something of that I am not an expert on medical terms i apologize. But yeah, uh, he named it this way. And really, this eye uh, really badly saw in the distance. And the mother of the child, Maria, was told that the, the left eye was is just useless from the birth and you can't really help it, help it in any way. So... In this way, Vladimir Ilyich lived his whole life with the idea that his left eye doesn't see anything and that he sees only with his lo- with his right eye. Even though, according to later investigations, after his death already, by the way, uh, it was found out that, no, he could see quite fine with his left eye in, in close-up. And this is why, in most fict- pictures of Lenin, uh, uh, when he was the leader already, you can spot that he's always squinting with his left eye. He's always, like, squinting with it, because he feels it's useless even though it's not. And that's kind of weird if you think about it, because you can see it, but you just your brain refuses to believe that you can see with your eye. Now, I don't know how that would influence anything, but that is certainly weird. You see, when we talk about Lenin and, and all of his family here... We should talk about his older brother Alexander, from whom we have these things about Lenin kicking him while playing. But yeah, um, Lenin's brother Alexander was a university zoology student who just happened to get himself uh, into terrorism. That was his side hobby, and apparently this has really influenced a lot of Lenin's own work and uh, things that he really thought about why terror should be used you see he got arrested in march 1887 when lenin was 17 the same year by the way when lenin applied to college and later got kicked out uh, he got arrested for participating in a bombing plot to, like, to assassinate tsar alexander iii and that is the weird part because tsar alexander ii was arrested was was assassinated which prompted alexander iii to just stop any any kind of ways of reform in the russian empire some of Alexander's co-conspirators they were the kind of people who valued their lives and they begged for, for clemency. And they had their sentences reduced because, you know, Tsar had to appear merciful at some point. But Lenin's older brother being as idealistic for the cause as Lenin later would become he refused to do so. He were, He would not bend at all. He believed that asking for clemency would be <clears throat> quote, insincere, end quote. See, he he at one point did ask for his life, but that was a, in a very, very strange way. He sent an unrepentant, open, very bold letter to the Tsar in which he asked to not be killed for his own mother. Quote, Her health has been strongly shaken in recent days, and if my death sentence is carried out, it will put her life in most serious peril. He sent this to the Tsar. This plea went completely ignored, and he was hanged in May. But yeah. Ulyanov family just keeps on giving. Then there was this older sister, Anna. Anna Ilyichina Ulyanova. As you can see, the middle name is the father's name here. She was the eldest of the kids, and she became somewhat of a historian of the family. She is the one from whom we get the most memories of her younger brother, uh, which were crea- which then later were taken by Soviets and created the correct uh, look at the life of, of the great leader, to the leader to the readers of the proletariat throughout the whole world uh, these were basically created together and 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 uh, used by the earlier mentioned uh, shagyanen and and later bonich burenova but at the same time in in her her notes which i've read obviously and i'm trying to get something coherent out of them because Honestly speaking, with all the strict discipline, Lyanov's were not among the best note-keepers, which make a lot of sense. You have to dig through all of this material. At the same time, there were a lot of lot of stuff in the, her notes, which obviously didn't get a huge publishing around the Soviet Union. Anna Ilyichina, in her notes, calls Vladimir the most loud and noisemaking and, and dangerous she noted his special self confidence, and and his hatred of, of when someone told him that he couldn't do something. Like if if little Ilyich wanted something, he got it. And interestingly enough, Lenin Vladimir was somewhat of a favorite kid of the family, weirdly enough, cause. Uh, Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, or Lenin as we know him later, was very, very was a very, very, very smart kid. I mean, I don't know how much you believe in socionics. It's the 16, 16 mayor types, I presume. I am INTP. If if someone cares for that stuff, I think Lenin would be INTP plus sociopath. Something of that sort. Uh, at least, maybe not, but I don't know. Anyway, it was it was weird because... They discipline the other children a lot. But Lennon himself managed to get scot-free. Like, he had this jail get-out-of-jail-free card, especially when I mentioned this last case of him ripping apart a toy or just breaking his aunt's vase that he could, that she had given to the family. And that's a great family. I mean, it, this is this is where Lennon just doesn't get punished at all. He gets to do what he wants, while other kids get punished, because he's apparently the smartest of them all. Well, now, that, that teaches you something about how he would lead himself later in life. Weirdly enough, at the same time, Lenin and his whole family, due to their roots, which they tried to keep hidden, lived under this guise of humanism. So I dunno, when I try to explain when I'll try to explain later how how these utter terror and utter horror can go together with some form of uh, some form of loving the workers, I presume, or something like that. I think this this is where the roots of that are. Because unlike many of, of his neighbors of the Simbirsk area, they were way friendlier as a family to non-Russians living in Russia than their neighbors were. And this will later play out and become very important in the, the duel, the political duel between Stalin and Lenin. Because Lenin was all for the minority rights in the Soviet Union. He just wanted to kill the rich people, apparently. Stalin was... Actually, way more nationalistic than it may may appear at one point. Stalin was very, very, very pro-Russian, like, nationalistically pro-Russian, even though he was a Georgian himself. Which is strange, but this is is where the certain duality of Lenin's character comes up. Because I don't know much about child psychology. Alice should know better, but uh, I don't know. She's studying for her English exam tomorrow all All in all, all this family grew up, and this is important in the atmosphere of respect and love at the same time, and respect is important in this because respect means discipline. They were taught to be honest, free thinking, and they had to defend their point of view. They were taught to do that at the same time, discipline and respect are still important; they were being loved, but they were being treated very, very strictly. Except Lenin, who gets what he wants. Interestingly enough, because of all of this, not only Lenin, but Anna herself, and later other people, everyone in this family became revolutionary idealists. And up until the very end of their lives, they had warm relationships between one another. Anna Ilyichina, became one of the very basis, one of the creators of the newspaper Iskra, or The Spark, which is one of the first communist newspapers. And after the revolution, she managed to fulfill her dream of teaching kids, and she basically devoted all of her life of educating the Russian Russian children. The middle sister, Olga, Olga Ilyichina Ulyanova, the one with, with whom Lenin Lenin spent the most time in childhood, from which we also have some notes. But Olga never was a good word for the Ulyanov family. See, the first, Olga managed to live just just a small bit and died as a very young child. And the second, Olga, the best friend of Lenin, managed to live just 19 years. She just died... Being a teenager, basically, and even though she was like best friends with Lenin, and that was that was the weirdest part. I think I think this is the moment where we can see real changes in, in Lenin's personality. And in in the family line of of all the kids, now we, uh, we come to Lenin, and he's the middle son of uh, Ilya Nikolaevich and Maria Alexandrovna. And at this point, when he, the Lenin is born, his family has just overcome the death of little Olga. This is why Lenin is always the favorite son of the family. This is why the mother of Lenin is always very worried about the health of the middle son. And according to Anna, his older sister, there were times, apparently, when... when Lenin's mother was really, really, really worried about the psychological was really worried about the psychological condition of volodya this is this is how you this is how you call vladimir in, in kind of little form uh, kind of sweet family form and this was because of his sudden burst of rage, which happened with him up until he was three and as he was was uh, learning to walk basically is even though his elder elder brothers and sisters had learned how to walk normally, little Lenin apparently was a screaming child, very loud, and when he was trying to walk and fell down, he instead would just, you know, bash his head against the floor or the wall, like really hard, and then start screaming throughout the house. He really hated that he failed at something when he was three. And Anna told us, it speaks to us through her writing, stating that out of Lenin, Lenin will become either a genius, either a complete fool. So, but the parents apparently had calmed down later because this crazy, yelling, very aggressive child, who had some trouble because he used to he used to do all sorts of trouble when he showed that he was very very smart, then they kind of calmed down of this. Well, his smartness just helped him cause bigger trouble along the way, but, you know, still. He was struck by the fact that his brother had uh, been, been punished by death, by hanging, and that struck the whole family. And, uh, this, like I said, this is the moment where Vladimir, where our friend Lenin, strictly decided to continue his his thing, but in another way. This is quoting himself. Lenin's brother's death, when Lenin himself was just 17 and just uh, going into college, was quite probably the most forming part of his childhood, disregarding the disregarding the craziness which he apparently had inherited from his ancestors. And this is what made him a revolutionary. Idealist and terrorist at the same time. It's the same thing, really. And this is where he was going. So this, I think, and... Uh, of course, I don't have any hard evidence on this one, but I I believe that the death by the death of his elder brother by the hands of Tsar was the reason why why he became this weird revolutionary new government type leader who decided what's right and wrong for himself, and why all of his surviving brothers and sisters always supported him. There's a note that. His brothers and sisters always supported him, always were respectful of him later, and actually became, you know, co-revolutionaries and aides, so to speak. And then we come to the to the younger brother, Dmitry Ily- Ilychlianov. And like I said, all of the family of Lenin in some way or another were tied later together with the revolutionary movement. And the younger brother was was a clerk, so to speak, and also a student. And after revolution Student of medicine, and after revolution he was, he became uh, the narcom, like narodny commissar the people's commissar of uh, health of of health keeping institutions in Crimea. He managed to finish university and got his doctor's diploma during the Soviet era, and after this he moved to Moscow. And until his death, Dmitri, the younger son of the Ilyanov family worked in basically the local version of Ministry of Health in Russian Socialist Republic. Been, interestingly enough, we're looking at a family that changed the world. If if there is a great man in history anywhere, then I do believe that Vladimir Ilyich Lenin is is one of them. He's he and his family had changed history of nations now the question remains and is quite open whether or not that was for for the better or worse but weirdly enough as much as we'll go through these series and as much as we'll go through with Lenin there is literally no doubt whatsoever that Lenin firmly believed that through his actions by killing all the kulaks, by exterminating whole peoples, by just murdering a ton of people, by, by doing all the horrible, horrible things that he did, because he did a ton of horrible things, obviously. Make no mistake there. His childhood left a huge impact on him. This is why this is very, very important. This is why this whole Lenin's childhood is getting a whole episode dedicated to it, after all. He, I do believe that he firmly believed in it. You see, you can you can speak about Stalin as, as being just a power hungry guy who wanted more power and who had his own ambitious control freak things. But Lenin Lenin's like, you know, one of these people who are so fanatically idealistic that he firmly believes in what he's doing. Lenin was a full-time believer. You you can't take that away from him. He believed in what he was doing is completely right and nothing would would change his mind. Any objections were stupid and anything would get turned down. And we'll we'll move on to the adult life of Lennon, possibly in the next episode, because this has been going on for a while now. The next episode will will come out just in a week or so, because I have to prepare for all of this. But Lennon was a true believer, very, very much influenced by childhood. Now, why Lenin? Because his birth name was Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, after all. That is the thing which I want to speak about and with which we will end this episode. So why Lenin? See, Lenin appears in 1901. That is the period when, in the spring of 1901, Vladimir Ulyanov chooses his new pseudonym Nikolai Lenin. He had been using other pseudonyms too at one point such as Katulin and Petrov prior to settling to Lenin. But there's a lot of discussion about this because this has always fascinated historians about all of this and there are a lot of uh, lot of weird ideas on this on this uh, thing. Basically a lot of historians believe that this comes from the river Lena. And by the way this this theory uh, appears on many many other History sources, which are kind of pop history sources, such as the History Channel homepage and the British British Encyclopedia on the Internet. This is because there is a Lena River in Siberia, and you know. By the way, don't don't be surprised about this, because every famous Russian revolutionary that you know is basically by pseudonym. Because Joseph Stalin was Joseph Jugashvili and Leon Trotsky, which will also figure out. A lot in our story in, in the episodes to come was also Lev Bronstein, so you know, uh, taking pseudonyms was very very common in this era. But why Lenin? See, the other other feature of all of this is there was a certain group of trees called Lenin uh, under the Berlin, where he also spent some time. But uh, up until the weird, uh, up until the time when he became Lenin. It was it was interesting to, to see how all this comes. One of the weird theories about you know how Lenin came to be. One of the more popular theories was the fact that all of all of this was influenced by one of Lenin's secret loves, Yelena Lenina, who had such a surname. In the other, in the other opinion of all of this was, there was this uh, choir singer of the theater in Marinsko, Yelena Zapretskaya, like other weird loves on romantic affairs of Lenin. But, uh, these theories appear to be failed, because historians checked on them, Soviet historians checked on them a lot, because this was one of the greatest Soviet mysteries. Basically, (laughs) up until 1950s, 1960s, in the central party archives, letters were coming in, of the relatives of some Nikolai Yegorovich Lenin. In which some kind of convincing, convincing living history was 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 proposed there, and people really believed in this. So the the leader of this archive, Rostislav Alexandrovich Lavrov. Uh, rewrote these letters to the Central Committee of the Communistic Party and uh, obviously they weren't they weren't uh, obe- they weren't really available to the public between see, between all of this uh, the Lenin the this, this family of true Lenins, like the guys sending in these letters to the Communist Party these linens uh, kind of trace their beginning from a Cossack named Posnika who apparently in the 17th century for special services kind of tied to the conquest of Siberia and creating a permanent uh, p- permanent winter p- permanent winter quarters permanent winter living Things I don't know—not quite a village, but not, a permanent camp. Let's just say it's permanent camp because I'm translating from Russian directly here, and honestly, it's a bit difficult. So he created permanent winter quarters in the River Lena, and he got this dvorianstvo, this castellanship, like lesser nobility stuff, and he got this family of Lenin, and you know a, a spot in the Volgotskoy in the Volgodskoy Oblast. Tons of his like successors, a lot of times were were kind of showing themselves off in the Russian army and the civilian or uh, civilian posts of the Russian Empire. And one of them, this Nikolai Yegorovich Lenin, he got sick, and he went on retirement when he was uh, he was he was serving when he had achieved in his career the post of uh, oldest states advisor. In the 1980s, in the 1880s, and uh, like by when I'm saying, states advisor, I mean advisor to the governor, and he had and he had uh, sat down and retired to live in the yaroslavska area. Now this, uh, the daughter of this Nikolai Yegorovich Lenin, like an actual Lenin, uh, his daughter Olga Nikolaevna. Finished uh, histori- finished the history and philology faculty in eighteen eighty three. Uh, that was the Beshtuzerich uh, faculty there, and she went to work in Smolensk evening school, basically for the workers who came after the work. The school to finish their basic high basic education, like finish their twelfth grades or something where apparently she had met Nadezhda Krupskaya, which will be a major figure in the story. Nadezhda Krupskaya, yes. That will be Lenin's wife. And this is an important person and I might just dedicate a whole episode to her as well. Oh yeah, bonus, there will be specials about random various subjects sliced and photography in the Soviet era. But uh, I, uh, some of you uh, have stated to me that you don't like tangents. So back to this one. So this uh, this idea of the chi, the true, like uh, true successor of a real Lenin, had met in and where there were some dangers at this point, that the government, the Russian government, could deny Vladimir Ulyanov his foreign passport and that when his friends were starting to look for like smuggling options to move across the border Krupskaya apparently had uh, went to Lenin to help and Olga Nikolaevna uh, then gave uh, this ask for help uh, to her brother who was apparently one of the clerks in the Ministry of Agronomy, like taking care of the land, Ministry of Farming, I presume. And he was named Sergei Nikolaevich Lenin. Besides this, uh, an analogical, uh, analogical request came to him, apparently also from his friend, a uh, person involved in statistics of Russian Empire, Alexander Dmitrievich Tsyorupi in the year ni- nineteen hundred. So, and this this is how apparently this Lenin, real Lenin, met Vladimir Ulyanov. Oh boy, and this is where it gets complicated. Sergei Nikolaevich Lenin had been reading Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, also known as Lenin, and, and apparently Mr. Ulyanov knew Lenin as... Uh, as the Lenin, who's a communist, had been reading Lenin, who was just a clerk, because Lenin, who had been just a clerk, has been just written some articles for newspapers uh, called, uh, called, growth of capitalism in Russia. So, apparently, brother and sister, brother this brother and sister had decided, as they had been fans of Lenin, to who is not Lenin yet, they had decided to give this fake passport to our Vladimir Ulyanov. fake passport of their father, Nik- Nikolai Yegorovic, who by this point was very, very, very ill. And he died, this Nikolai Yegorovic, Lenin, he died on the 6th of April 1902. So, according to according to his family records... In the year 1900, Sergei Nikolaevich, according to his work deals, because apparently family, families kept logs back then, uh, went to Pskov. There, under the task of his uh, agricultural ministry, agronomy ministry, whatever, he uh, he participated in a Russian-German project of... of special research technology, of, of special machinery which would go to Russia. In one of these, in one of the hotels in, in Pskov, Lenin gave the passport of his father of a changed birth date, Vladimir Ilyich, which was at that time living in Pskov. So this is the like the most likely story, which you, which I which I have found because this is both the craziest and the most likely story about how Ulyanov became Nikolai Lenin because he would have gotten the passport of this one. Now this has also many doubts, but honestly, seems valid, seems likely. But I will never speak of this again, and Lenin forward on will be Vladimir Ulyanov, because one Lenin is enough. Two. Quite a bit too much. Anyway, thank you for listening, and uh, see you next week. Yes, next week because if I if I will, I have to give out these episodes weekly by this point, or we'll be spending whole year on linen alone. So, the Wiedenjie, Tavareshi, and see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.